Hello and welcome to French Football Weekly. We're back after a bit of a break. Uh, Chris isn't with us because his Sunday league team is uh, creatively playing on a Wednesday. So I'm Philippa B. I'm your host for this evening and I'm joined by Jeremy Smith. Hi, Jez. Hello. And Connor Ketley. Hi, Connor. Hello. Now, we're going to start with the kind of increasingly desperate attempts of PSG to... Uh, wind up the title that they look to have sewn up in August. Uh, but they've had a few bumps in the road recently, shall we say. So two weeks ago, they drew 2-2 at home against Strasbourg, who were becoming their bogey team uh, over the last couple of seasons. And then they got hammered 5-1 at uh, the Stade Pierre Moira um, um, against Lille on Sunday. <laughs> They are currently playing against Nantes in a catch-up game, which also looked like it might be theirs for the taking, given that Nantes haven't, have lost every, if, every one of the last 11 league games against them since they came up. Uh, but Nantes are currently leading 3-1. So we will bring you updates of that later on, but we really need to look at that Lille game. 5-1. It was... I mean... Tuchel was complaining afterwards about the injury list and the lack of players. And they did have, I think, Thiago Silva went off injured, then Murnia went off injured, and then uh, Bernat got sent off. So they were kind of light on defenders, but and they were playing with 10 men. But the way they were taken apart in the second half uh, shows Lille's quality and also PSG's perhaps... Uh, vulnerabilities. Jez, what did you make of that game? Was it just good fun or does it point to something deeper? Uh, both. Any match with six goals, especially one where five of them are conceded by PSG, the red card as well, even the sort of extra intrigue of injuries is going to be good fun. Um, but I definitely think from a PSG point of view, I mean, from a Lille point of view, it just sort of is the, the sort of perfect icing on the cake of, of the season that they've had and the kind of, yeah, I guess the Piesta resistance that shows no way has it been any kind of fluke and that they are playing on their day fantastic football that, that not many teams can, can match. But from a PSG point of view, I think it just points to several different deeply laid problems some of which have been ongoing for a few years and it's almost sort of chickens coming home to roost. Um, Tuchel complained. I thought he sounded, at first I thought he sounded a bit silly complaining about um, the fact that they've got so many injuries and um, just also sort of denying what Mbappe said, which I'll come back to in a sec. But the more I think about what he said, the more I think it was probably very carefully thought out to make a very big, very public point to, to those above him that they need to sign players, and especially midfielders, during the summer. And the fact that he even mentioned that Lassana Diara and Rabiot were missing, I think, um, yeah. you know, really highlights um, issues that he's got there and suggests maybe as, as I think a few people have probably thought anyway, that the fact that Radio isn't playing is definitely not to who's cool. And mm. um, I think overall, I think Mbappe basically had it right, even though Tuchel disagreed. Mbappe basically said, look, it's, it's fine to lose a match, but to collapse and basically not care after a certain point 
shows a lack of professionalism. It may just look like amateurs or debutantes. As usual, not the first time Mbappe has kind of spoken more eloquently than anyone else. He's fronted up more than anyone else and, and certainly got to give him credit for that. But yeah, there's huge issues there. Yes, they do have a lot of injuries, but um, someone literally just now on Twitter said, you know, poor, poor PSG, okay, they're, they're, they're losing to Nantes, but um, it's a threadbare team. Well, first of all, the team that's currently losing to Nantes started with eight internationals. And secondly, if it's a threadbare team, that's entirely PSG's fault for such, yeah. in my opinion, such a massively misguided transfer policy over the years. Take away Neymar, who we've agreed before or discussed before, arguably doesn't bring that much extra to the team. And think of the number of excellent players you could buy for 222 mm. million, million euros. But also, I think, um, think of the excellent players they might have, the potential excellent players they've had in the wings who they haven't given a chance to. We were discussing this before the pop, um, Connor and I, um, that when Tuchel's saying there's nobody else who's got any experience, well, that's kind of down to him. You know, they, they're so far ahead in the table. So far ahead. 26 wins. You play, give those kids a bit more minute, a bit more time on the pitch. You, you know, you, it's fine to just beat Dijon 2-0. You know, it's still three points. Um, so that, I think it's something, again, that's been uh, a self-fulfilling prophecy. I mean, I know that he maybe has to play the stars because that's what everybody pays for. But, you know play the kids more and then you would have more experienced people rather than the bench at the moment which is they just brought on a Turkish youth international um, and they've got two other guys on the bench that I have not heard of who have not played a minute of senior football so far and that's the situation they're in I think just kind of going back to this game I mean Lille ran riot in the second half but they were 1-1 at half-time, having not had a shot on target because their goal was an own goal from PSG. Was this a case of, you know, just seeing a weakness and pouncing on it? Um, how do you evaluate, particularly the second half, obviously when they were playing against 10 men and scored four goals? Um, I think, first of all, it was probably a bit brash of PSG to, you know, try and more or less... I mean, I think they only had to draw the game, didn't they, to, to basically yep. secure the title. But it was a bit brash of them to maybe play the way that they continue playing. I remember there was just countless, countless chances for Lille in the second half. And a lot of that was obviously Pepe's goal where he was just clean through. They just didn't bother with, you know, changing their shape or changing their rather, um, you know, the amount of uh, men they had back in terms of uh, preventing that those kind of situations where Pepe's pace if you push forward, if you've got a defender back at the last second, he can cover you. But just the way that they didn't really react and the fact that Lille did you know, take notes of that and say, OK, even though they're on 10 men, um, we're happy to just you know, break at this kind of pace, which is their strength anyway, mm. um, and just take on uh, that kind of opportunity that was handed to them on a silver platter. Um, the fact that it got to 5-1, I mean, think about the amount of teams that go down to 10 men and end up losing by one, maybe two goals. Yeah. To lose because four goals. They have to now sense the the lack of, not lack of pride, 
I'm looking for the wrong word here, but you know, they, they have the realism to go, yeah, okay, we need to shut up shop here. And that's not what PSG did. I mean, I think they did struggle, obviously, with those two early injuries because they started out kind of with three at the back, but then Silva goes off, Kera comes on, so that messes up the back three. Money goes off, Diaby, who's a midfielder, comes on, Alves kind of moves back, everybody's shifted around, then Bernat goes off. It, I mean, it was a mess defensively, and we saw that goal after goal uh, with what uh, Leo were doing to them it looked very much like you know uh, was it the raptors testing the fence as it were uh, mm. they saw they saw a weakness they saw an avenue through and went for it which i think bodes very well for them in their european travails next season perhaps um jess do you have any <laughs> view on uh, on well obviously a load of those players are going to go but yeah. what, what do we think about the state of Lille at the end of the season? How much, <laughs> how much state, will stay, how much will go? That's the thing. The state of Lille at the end of the season is fantastic, but I'm not sure about the state of Lille at the start of next season. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they basically said that four or five players can go. Um, Sumaro, the captain, is pretty much, he's pretty much saying he's going to leave. Um, Neil have said that he and Thiago Mendes have got a sort of exit pass. Um, Pepe's going to leave, not that they want to sell him, but I think they're not in the best financial situation anyway, mm. and the amount of money they're going to get for him, I think probably this summer. He, 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 he's been proven completely right in not joining Leon last summer. Um, Leon and Neil both agreed that, that he could go, and he was the one who decided to stay, so he's been vindicated. I think he's probably ready to leave this summer. So a lot depends on who they can bring in. Um, last summer, the, the, the players they did bring in improved master strokes, whereas older, whether it's older players like, like Jose Font or younger players like um, Liao or, or Selic, they've all done brilliantly. Balotore, who's obviously been, been sold since. So as long as they can um, bring in some some quality replacements and you know they'll still have presumably Bamba and Ikone up front for example, Liao will be a little bit more, more experienced. There's definitely still huge potential there for, for them to maintain a good league run but I think possibly that, I mean a lot depends on other teams as well because for me all four of the sort of in inverted commas big teams are going to need massive overhauls in the summer so a lot depends on them but I think Lille should still do well in Ligue 1. My concern is the usual thing in Champions League. Even if they do prove to be a very good team, it might take a while for this new team to bed bed in and, and get used to playing with each other, which may or may not be too late for, for a decent Champions League campaign by then. I think uh, one thing that kind of gives me a bit of hope is, obviously... Um, Lille have got uh, uh, Galtier in charge and we know he can play defensive as well as offensive. So if you have mm. to take a bit of a moment and regroup, I think we were all surprised to see him being able to manage a team as attacking and offensive as Lille have become because his history at Saint-Étienne was very much 
nil nil land so let's let's you know shut up shop here to a certain extent so mm. i think now we've seen both sides of him uh that could be very interesting because they could be very solid still they still got a good mm. defensive record so you know that's a that's a promising point i think, I on, think on um, that front. yeah well, one thing that could be said for a potential champions league campaign next year is um, obviously, we're assuming perhaps that they'll they'll finish second this campaign. And um, obviously, UEFA changed the rankings, didn't they? That um, obviously the first club in the European nations, etc., would have different rankings. I'm not sure would would French clubs be second seeded if they finish second, or is that I can't remember which nations. But if it were to get Lille a second seed. Um, obviously, that might change things, but I can't remember how it works in terms of obviously they're one of the lower ranked European <laughs> nations. I but... have no, no fucking idea at all with all of, these, all of these different rankings and competitions and qualifications and whatever. Oh, PSG have just got one back. That makes it 3 2 at Nantes with a couple of minutes to go. So we will uh, come back to that a bit later. Um, I think if we move on to uh, our second topic, obviously at the weekend there were some there were some interesting results. Nantes beating Lyon, for example, to throw third place into a bit of a spin, which we'll come on to in a minute. But there was one game which was stopped for five minutes for uh, very unfortunate reasons. That was uh, Dijon um, and Amiens, um, nil-nil. It finished, but play was interrupted for about five minutes because of incidents of uh, racist chanting towards Amiens' uh, player, Prince uh, Guano. Uh, Jez, there's been a lot of coverage of this in France. Obviously, we're looking at uh, the kind of the recent history of racist incidents in England as a kind of counterpoint to it. Um, but this has been unfortunate. I think Guano said he, he's played in many different countries, in, including in Italy, and had to come back to France to experience this. And the way he dealt with it has been universally uh, admired. But I mean, what happened? Um, what do you think will come from this, uh, this incident? Um, obviously, I think everyone's going to start off on it point of pessimism because so little has been done anywhere in the world to, to really combat racism in football in recent years but I think that um, his his reaction was very different to, to previous reactions um, it was not to be fair to them or to be fair to him but it was only one person who was who was chanting at him which maybe made the situation sort of less explosive than it could have been but he handled it. You usually have someone either you know, ignoring it or trying to say something to the ref and being ignored or sort of taking matters into their own hands and risking their own sort of booking or sending off or, or doing what, for example, Keenan Sterling have done recently and, and answering in maybe the best way possible by, by scoring and sort of staring them out. But Guano, first of all, you have the, the sort of um, strength of character and possibly the, the kind of respect from fellow professionals already that, that he managed to get the game stopped and managed to get all, all, all 21 other players to, to sort of back him in that. Um, but what was really impressive from him was, was all the sort of post-match interviews where 
he he was kind of angry and and hurt as you'd expect but he was you know he made a big point of kind of saying i'm not angry about i'm not angry with this person i'm angry about racism and this per you know it comes from ignorance it comes from bad seeds being planted and you know very much sort of preaching forgiveness and talking about about his religion talking about how you know he's the victim of racism here but he is in a good position overall as a professional footballer he doesn't know about this guy's um, upbringing and he doesn't want to bring charges because you know, if anything that could make matters worse for this person and, and possibly put him in a bad situation for life whereas if he if he sort of turns uh, turns the other cheek then this guy might learn a lesson it might be a lesson learned for the guy's kids for future generations and I just think that such a kind of <laughs> I want to say noble sort of noble erudite giving reaction hopefully will shame authorities much higher up into actually doing something and taking on board what he said taking on board how he felt how all of all the, all the victims of, of racism feel and really doing something about it rather than just being lip service yeah i think there's a slight danger in saying there's a right or a wrong response to racism Oh yeah, um, I, I, but I think, but, but there is the possibility of there being a better response, as it were. If he'd come out and say, "Yeah, this guy's a dickhead, and I want him arrested," <laughs> I think everybody would have been behind that as well. But like you say, what his reaction has been has a hopefully um, made more of an impact on the as it appears, single person who is causing this problem, also got the other Dijon fans on side to say, yeah, we are definitely not cool with this, but also um, putting pressure on, as you say, the authorities to deal with it. Because as we've seen in the, in the Premiership, um, the reactions from Raheem Sterling writing very, very... Um, uh, carefully but very cleverly about explaining the concept of kind of cause and effect to people who should really know fucking better um and it's take it's not his job but he's still done it because nobody else appeared to be willing to do that at the correct level and i think that is something to be very much admired but the next time this happens because we know there'll be a next time if uh, if the footballer in question who's taking the flak says, yeah, arrest, arrest him, throw the book at him, I don't care, then I would also be completely fine with that uh, because, as I said, it's not their job to educate other people. It is brilliant when it happens, but it is not a requirement we can put on the victims of assault, basically. Uh, that would be kind of my slightly random approach on that. Um, uh, we do have a final result. Uh, Nantes have beaten PSG 3-2, so PSG will take their uh, attempt to sew up the Ligue 1 title uh, back to the Parc des Princes, where they will be playing Monaco on Sunday night. Uh, yeah, could that have been planned? Who knows? But that was a very good result. But we did see a 
debut goal on his debut appearance for Medhan Guglu, who came on in the uh, late on and scored in the 88th minute, which he doesn't even have his name on the back of his shirt, as far as I can tell from the footage. <laughs> uh, so, you know, youngsters, uh, there are some at PSG. Right. Um, moving on to the third place battle, because Leon have had... Leon have had some bad, bad kind of times over the past couple of weeks. Um, they lost to Czech's notes. Uh, they lost to Dijon, which I'd say not many of us were expecting. And then they lost to Nantes, uh, Ditto. Um, and ran in, ran in the cup before. Yeah. And they're still in third, but they're looking a little bit shaky with Saint-Étienne kind of boisterously moving up the table. Um, with some good results recently. That third Champions League spot, how are we seeing that pan out? Connor, what do you think is going to happen um, on that? Yeah, uh, well, quick shout out to Nantes. And tonight, that's what back-to-back Leon and PSG uh, wins at home, um, which is, uh, you know, pretty much unheard of. So congrats to them. Um, I mean, it's, it's Leon's to lose, really, uh, at the moment. and. Well, they're doing their best, aren't they, uh, with those two slip-ups? Yeah, they um, are trying. Yeah, so, well, the big game is, uh, of course, in a couple of weeks' time when uh, they go to the Velodrome uh, against Marseille, which um, has historically, or at least in the last sort of five years or so, uh, typically gone Leon's way or, of course, been a you know, stalemate. Marseille notoriously bad at beating their, um, their rivals at the top of the table. But I think everyone's really in danger of just forgetting about Saint-Étienne. Um, it, it's just they've slipped under the radar so much. Um, and, I mean, even I, well, of course, I'm slightly biased, but I only talk about Lyon, Marseille, or who's going to clinch the third spot. And Saint-Étienne have just been sneaking and sneaking. And if Marseille beat Lyon and Saint-Étienne continue... Um, they're actually in pole position, really. It's, it'll go down to goal difference between the two uh, kind of Leon area clubs. Uh, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, personally, I think Leon are still favourites. Um, I don't think Marseille will do it. I think they'll be lucky to finish, um, very lucky to finish fourth. So I think it's between um, Leon and Saint-Étienne, personally. Mm. Uh, Saint-Étienne are uh, um, just looking at L'Equipe and it's uh, bizarrely reset back to game 28, presumably because of the, uh, the catch-up game. But uh, Saint-Étienne have done uh, a really good job and it was a really convincing win uh, the weekend. Uh, 3-0 over Bordeaux. Bordeaux, no great shakes despite the big name. But it was um, a couple of goals from uh, Mathieu Debouchy that... Uh, that got that um, in the bag after a casualty penalty. They just look like they're having fun as well, which is nice because that's a team full of players who are quite fun. So not having that kicked out of them is kind of a good thing for me. Um, Jess, what's your opinion on uh, the third place battle and and who's going to end up there? Uh, well, on Saint-Étienne, I thought, I sort of half agree with you about the weekend because I thought actually the, the first half they were pretty poor against Bordeaux and then it took a, a soft penalty for them to take the lead. But after that, they were extremely comfortable. And I think what they've been doing 
recently is fantastic. I think they had that that real blip sort of following the, that last minute defeat to Lyon and then a couple of big injuries. But mm-hmm. Gasset, I think, has done a great job of, of, of finding a, a sort of winning team with the, with the the players that he's got left. They haven't got the most difficult run in. Um, some some really winnable games there. Um, the next game is away to to Ras and on on paper you'd mm. say that's that's the hardest match they've got left. Um, Rans are quite kind of bubbly and um, unpredictable as well, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. Um, and, and they're still kind of up <laughs> up there as well, um, pushing mm. for, for for a European place. So that's not going to be easy. But as Connor said, obviously with with the advantage. The ball is in Lyon's court. It should be theirs to win, but they should have won their last three matches and mm. competitions as well. And they've they've really shot themselves in the foot, um, just with uh, not mutiny, but more like civil war. Just everyone within the club, whether it's the fans, <laughs> the coach, the the president, the players, they all seem to be. Uh, no one seems to be sort of on the same page at the moment, and they really need to kind of settle down and just find some way of, of tolerating each other for, for another six weeks or so. Um, Saint-Etienne are right there if they slip up. Um, they're, yeah, they're in a good phase of form. I agree that Marseille are possibly a little bit too far behind, but that Marseille-Lyon match suddenly turns into absolute... I mean, it's always sort of nasty and uh, it's not necessarily going to be a, a match to decide who gets the last Champions League place anymore. It's, which probably a lot of people at the start of the season might have been looking at that and thinking it could be, but it's still there's still going to be a lot riding on that. Mm. Um, Marseille really, sort of in terms of the project and, and sort of financially, although it's unlikely, they really really could do with Champions League for the next season because they're going to have to have quite a big overhaul in the summer, and I'm not sure that a lot of the players that they'd like to leave are going to bring in as much money as they would have liked. So they could do with the financial boost of, or financial guarantee of Champions League, which I don't think they're going to get. Lyon, absolutely. Well, I mean, with the stadium and everything, they could probably survive without Champions League, but they shouldn't be. They, they need to be the team of their size and with the, the players they've got, it would be um, obviously Genesia sort of paying the price anyway, but it's inexcusable for them to miss out on Champions League, frankly. So... Mm-hmm. Actually, Saint-Etienne, not only are they probably the form team of, of all the Champions League candidates, but I'd say they've, they've also got by far the least pressure on them, which may, may well help as yeah. well. Again, with them yeah. looking like they're having fun, uh, that, uh, that may well ha- help. We've, uh, Connor, do you have anything to add on, well, on that? I was going to say, it's just, I mean, arguably Lyon actually have the nicest run in which might be bad for them just seeing how they <laughs> they bottle all the tough games don't they so obviously they're away at Marseille uh they're at home to Lille other than that it's pretty straightforward um I suppose last day of the season they're away at Nîmes as well actually so that could be a tricky one but uh, home to Angers away at Bordeaux and home to Caen so mm-hmm. Uh, it, I don't really know what to say. It could be a dream last few fixtures. It could be a, a nightmare last few fixtures. But maybe compared to the others, it might be too easy for them. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I think uh, Nîmes uh, on the last day of the season might be a very f- fun place to be if you are a, a crocker. 
because um, they're going to be uh, uh, celebrating having a really, really good uh, first season up. Um, not in any danger and playing some really nice football. One of the other things we have to think about is obviously, as well as the top three, there are the Europa places. Now, Strasbourg have taken one of those by winning the Coupe de la Ligue on penalties against Gangon. And I think I am not going to be alone by saying I think it's great that Strasbourg are going to be in Europe. I feel like they're going to be like Gangon were when the, after they won the Coupe de France a couple of years ago. They're actually going to try. And it's going to be good to watch. So, happy with that. But that means that we have a bit of uh, a limited issue on the Europa front. Because, obviously, we've got the Coupe de France final coming up on the Saturday the 27th, which will see Rennes playing PSG. If Rennes win that, they take another spot. And given how PSG are acting at the moment, who knows? Uh, but looking at the kind of fourth, fifth place, we've got at the moment uh, Saint-Étienne in fourth and Marseille in fifth, but then we've got three teams just below them on 48 points, Montpellier, Reims and Nice. Is it possible that any of them could sneak up uh, to nick that fifth place, whether or not it gets uh, European football? Connor, any how do you how do you think that gap will that gap stay or could one of team 48 uh <laughs> ruin OM season basically it's completely possible um i, I don't think it's you, you can't rule it out absolutely um just i i'm just going to take marseille because they're the bottom of the sort of third fourth fifth um you know that they've had a pretty diabolical season at points and it's completely conceivable that Leon will turn them over at home. Uh, you know, they'll lose a couple of other games. Um, so I really don't see any reason why one of the three could not do it. Uh, obviously, Montpellier, I'd say, are, are, you know, probably the favourites if you were to weigh it up. But Rouse as well have just pulled out some very good results. So I, I don't think Nice probably have the, the firepower to get up there, but... Montpellier and Reims, I really don't see why, you know, one of them couldn't uh, sneak mm. it, uh, especially I, Reims and, and especially Remy Udan's form uh, this season. And it's, what, 10 goals or so? And I think probably most of them come at the back end of the season. Um, so, yeah, and it would be great to see a team that's just promoted as well finish that high up. So, who knows? We, we have some uh, interesting games coming up at the weekend. Uh, nice are hosting Caen, who are currently rock bottom and not very good. Uh, OM away at Gangon, who are 19th and ditto, but kind of putting some stuff together. So I think given that the kind of the, the top clump and the bottom clump are both kind of doing random things, uh, could be an interesting round of games. Um, looking at the weekend's fixtures, obviously we finish with PSG Monaco, which will now will mean if PSG PSG win, I think they still only need a point. If PSG get anything out of that, they can celebrate the title. Um, but looking at the other games on the roster this weekend, Jez, what would you be watching before we get to the big Sunday night game? 
Um, so I just had the fixtures of Fundamino vanished. Um, I actually think Dijon Ren has the potential to be a good match. It's sort of living hope that Dijon are going to play some good football at some point. Yeah. And Ren uh, sort of. Dijon, I think, have in a way had a lucky couple of weeks. They played Lyon at the perfect time. They, following that up with a home match against Amiens on paper, isn't the hardest match and they didn't take advantage of it and they got a bit lucky that you know, that last gas Monaco goal against Gagol helped them out. And that home to Rennes, and Rennes have clearly got their minds on the Coupe de France final, um, is, is perfect timing to, to, to play them as well. So I th- this is, uh, personally, for the season they've had and also for dumping Del Olio, I, w- I wouldn't shed any tears if Dijon went down. But this is, a, this is such a good chance for them, that, mm. that sort of pocket of three matches. They really should be taking, taking advantage of, of that if they can. In a sense, um, to kind of sew up the playoff spot rather than one of the... Um automatic relegation places yeah i mean it's certainly not yet a done deal even even if they do win it but this is the kind of match that i think they really should should be uh looking to win if they're gonna stand a chance um Nîmes bordeaux kind of a sort of vaguely uh, close to a, a derby but um bordeaux are just sort of showing very very tentative signs of of improving under Sosa, but not exactly sure still where, where they are. But I think that they're, they're gradually heading in the right direction. But at the same I think time, we, I we think... might this season off and it's like, go next season, see where you get to. Exactly. It's like an extended pre-season for them, which, which could oh. turn out to be very good for them next year. But already I think he's, he's having a, a decent effect. But I think Nim show the... the great form that they've shown at times this season I think they could they could run riot actually I think that could be a really fun match to watch for yeah. anyone who's not a Bordeaux fan um, <laughs> they're the two that possibly are to look out for apart from the yeah the two the two big ones on, on Sunday yeah I think uh, I'd be looking at um, obviously Reims Saint-Étienne and Strasbourg Montpellier which will both have an impact on kind of the possibilities for European run but also just strike me as being they're going to be good games of football hopefully with teams that are going for it and uh, still have something to play for on some of them what do you think Connor what would be your pick for the weekend uh, well I'll echo uh, you and I think Jess mentioned rather two big games on Sunday so I reckon you know aside from PSG Monaco around set NTN um, we already said that you know the, the home team there are going to be looking for a potential Europa League uh, and the away team are going to be looking for potential Champions League at the end of the season. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably the game to watch uh, out of the two. Um, I mean, even PSG Monaco, I, I don't want to be a, a pedant or, um, sorry, rather um, a pessimist, I mean, uh, and say that PSG might clinch the title. But I think that Raul Saint-Étienne has a bit more riding on it um, mm. in terms of the potential ramifications for the end of the season. So, I think that'll be the game to watch. I wouldn't be surprised if Rant snuck it. Um, but, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, likewise, Santa Chen could easily win that game too. So uh, that's my one to watch. Yeah. 
I mean, when we talk about PSG wrapping up the title, they need a point to get to 82, which would mean if they lost every other game and Lille won every other game and somehow overturned a 41 goal goal difference swing, then it would be in play. So it's, I mean, it's not really, you know, still you know, tight or anything, but it's just a bit frustrating for them, I think, that they can't get it mathematically clear. But I think it's, it sounds silly, but the, the sort of plane that PSG are playing at, I do think that at the top level, a lot, and I think the way they've been the last couple of years has sort of fallen it out, a lot of it is to do with aura. Mm. I don't think Juventus have played particularly well for a few years now, but they're Juventus. Um, I think aura kind of carries and reputation carries teams through a little bit. And I think, you know, this whole thing that this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy about PSG being chokers did for them this year. Even the aura of Man United for PSG, I think, um, it's such a poor Man United team really this year. And the fact that it is big Man United, I think, did actually spook some of PSG a little Mm. bit. And so, of course, they're going to win the league. But the way this is happening is just making them a little bit more of a laughing stock, which I don't yeah. think is going to help them when we come to Champions League next year. Again. But also maybe not in the league, because teams are going to go, you know what, we can do what Strasbourg did. It's kind of that, you know, if it bleeds, we can kill it kind yeah. of thing. Um, which hopefully, I, we don't want to sound like we're being down on PSG, although we are. But, you know, it's always good if a league is competitive. And something I saw recently was um, Ajax obviously beat Juventus in the Champions League and they they haven't sewn up the Eredivisie. And that says more about the Eredivisie than it says about uh, kind of the Champions League, that it's still interesting, that it's still possible to get there. So I think that's, uh, that's something we can hopefully look forward to. Um, in any other business, just a brief look back, we should be getting uh, Corin Diacre's squad announcement for the Women's World Cup tomorrow, Thursday, so possibly today, depending on when you're listening to this. Uh, France have played two friendlies recently, beating Japan 3-1 and Denmark 4-0. Um, both very impressive results, given particularly Japan's quality. Uh, France are fourth in the FIFA rankings behind the USA, Germany and England. So the World Cup is setting up to be really, really fun. And elsewhere in women's football, we've got uh, the Women's Champions League semi-finals happening on Sunday. The first leg, which is Lyon playing Chelsea, uh, Bayern playing Barcelona in the other leg. Um, Amusingly, the same weekend that PSG lost 5-1 to uh, Lille, PSG's women's team went into a crunch match against Lyon uh, and level on points. So if they won, they were going to look to be taking the title. And they also got smashed 5-0, in fact. Um, 3-0 at half time and five different scorers for OL who do not take people uh, challenging their throne well. Um, but also, this has been the closest run that Divan has been in some time, so that does have to be a good thing. But OL are back on top, looking likely to take their, I don't know, 13th, 19th, something or other th- uh, title in a row, but they will be playing Chelsea 
in the Women's Champions League semis on Sunday, looking to get another title on that level as well. So any any other business from either of you, Jez? Anything you want to mention? Uh, no, I think I'm good for the moment. You're good? I'm just, I'm just uh, according to my Twitter feed, Laporte is not doing his chances of getting into the France squad. <laughs> Okay, so we will be turning over to the Champions League any moment now. Connor, anything you want to chip in with? Um, no, nothing. I, I guess um, just as a extra note, I think League on top scorer is probably uh, pretty much settled, even though Mbappe is injured now. Was the eight clear uh, of Pepe with uh, six <laughs> games left for each team? Pepe so and Cavani. Yeah, that's true. But I don't see Cavani catching him. Uh, <laughs> nope. And uh, Pepe probably equally as hard to be honest. So, yeah, that one um, it'll be his first, won't it? Uh, his first top scorer in Liga. Um, so, good team. I'm sure the first of many. Okay. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, so we'll have an interesting round of games this weekend. We've got the Coupe de France final happening on the 27th. So we'll be attempting to preview that as well at some point. And we will, uh, if you have any questions or anything you want us to comment upon, please leave us a comment or send us a tweet and we will do our best to cover it if we get Chris back from his uh, warm Wednesday evening in Plymouth and Rich back from his holiday in Suffolk. Uh, we will hope to have a uh, fuller team with you next week to round up all of the action. Until then, enjoy your French football and thanks for listening.